0: Thank you for joining us today. If you're new to The Rock, we would love to connect with you, and you can text Rock of KC to 816 307 1611 for a Connect card. And a member of our team will be in touch with you shortly. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can give safely and securely through our app and on our website at rockofkc.com. Your generous giving through The Rock supports many ministries here locally and globally. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Amen. Yes, amen. Thank you to each and every one of you that are participating in our run to stop it those that are praying, those who are giving, those of you that ran in the race, those that you served on the water station. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, how many of you know we can't do everything, but we can do all do something. And that's what God asks of us. And um, we can't do everything that's going on in the world, but. When God does put something in front of us, that He gives us an assignment, and we need to be obedient, just like Paul was obedient to the heavenly vision that was given to him, even though he knew it was costly, even though he was going to go to an area that had been prophesied over him that he would be he would be bound and and chained, and he was, but he went anyway because he was faithful to God's call. And God has called the Rock of KC to. Uh, be a voice as well as to raise awareness and to raise finances for people who are we call boots on the ground 24-7 working to combat this hideous sin of human sexual trafficking and um, we are not going to be those people who just tuck our head in the sand and just us four no more but we're going to stand and say to evil not here not now not ever amen all right, so praise God. We do have a goal this year of raising a little over $323,000. Someone asked me the other day, where are we at? I said, I don't know. I don't know where we're at. But I know this, that whatever we raise will be more than if we had done nothing. All right? And uh, uh, and, and, the, and if you're wondering, well, man, I want to make sure we're there. Well, then go ahead and write your $50,000 check. Uh, six of you and we'll be way over, I guarantee that, all right? It, it, it doesn't make it that hard. If you want, you know, if we just get 600 people right here today, this weekend, say, I'll give 500, we'll blow the thing out of the water. So if you've not been one of 600 to give your at least 500, then what are you waiting on, okay? Here, here's the truth. Here's the truth of the matter. $500 for most Americans, I mean, it could be a pinch, but for most, it's not going to end their life. It's not going to, uh, you know, they may not get the, you know, the Jordan airs that they were want to get as soon as they were going to get. But come on now. Oh, now it gets tense in here. Uh, now, you know, when you start talking that issue, it just gets tense. But here's the thing. If everyone will do their part, whatever that is that God puts on their heart, then I'm convinced that we'll, we'll come and have a number. We're Trying to raise 323000 just because that would put us at the $2 million mark that we've given away, which is an amazing thing uh, that God's done in and through this house. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. So, uh, in a couple of weeks, we'll, there are always some people that give later than after the race, and so we're just going to wait and do that, and then we'll bring you that number, okay? Sound good? All right, y'all ready to get into the Word? Ready for that Word to get into you? Okay, now what I mean by getting into the Word... I'm talking about that word getting into you. Everybody's into something. People are into sports. They're into, you know, crochet, underwater basket weaving. People are, how many people get into stuff? Like there are all kinds of things we can get into. Video gaming and and, uh, uh, pigeons. And I mean, yeah, there's, uh, yeah, I I ran into some people one time in my life that uh, there are these pigeons that they send them up into the air and these pigeons, they start twirling. They just start free-falling. It's like, it's a thing. They breed them. And um, this guy had moved his pigeons from one place to another, and they hadn't acclimated to the height of the trees yet. Yeah, and so some of them were not, were crashing into the trees and not surviving. So they had to acclimate to the height of the new trees. That, that He was a terrible owner of pigeons. I mean, he just was not. But I, I actually found this whole group of people that were like, into pigeons and these special types of pigeons I'd never seen it but they let them loose and that sure enough man they fly up a certain height and then they just start free falling Woo! and then at the end they spread their wings and and don't crash to the ground I'd be something I'd like to do you know and maybe with my new new resurrected body I'll get to do that like just go jump off the mountain I don't need a squirrel suit just be able to fly it's gonna be amazing all right, so God, God wants his word to get into us. Like, so when we're squeezed, as my wife is exhorting us, when we're squeezed, the word comes out. When the test comes, the word comes out. That's why it's not enough just to hear the word. It's not enough just to hear it. We must receive it. It must get into us. And then we mix it with faith and walk it out. It's a, it's a progression of, of uh, at least flour, water, and, and something else, a little bit of sugar. We need the word in us. We need faith to mix it with. Then we need action. And when the action is taken, then the word becomes solidified in our lives. Then the fruit comes. And when the squeezing comes, then the anger is not what's coming out. And the bitterness is not what's coming out. And the anxiety is not what's coming out. And the fear is not what's coming out. But the word of God is coming out of our mouth. The word of faith is coming out of our mouth. The word of encouragement, the word of life, because we're really into the word and the word is really into us. Amen? You ready for some more preaching? Then let me pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you so much for all your goodness, all your grace, all your mercy, all your kindness. We thank you for your power, for your love. We thank you that you see us, that you're for us and you're not against us. God, we have so many promises that are in your word that are yes and amen in Christ Jesus our Lord. And today we magnify you and glorify you. Today, God, we want to be washed by the water of the word. We want our minds to be renewed. We want to take every thought captive and bring it into subjection and obedience to Christ that we might present to you our bodies and our minds and our souls and our spirits as our reasonable worship to you. And so we're praying for grace to flood our hearts and our minds. Grace, God, to receive your word, to mix it with faith, to walk it out and to bear fruit and that fruit would remain. And so we would prove to be your disciples and glorify you, Father, you, our Father in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Well, We're in a series. This is part four of Colossians. We're going through the book of Colossians, and we have two more weeks to do that. Pray for me. We're only ending chapter two today. There's still two more chapters, so do the math, people, all right? But anyway, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll work through it. Colossians chapter two, I'm going to title this, In Christ." in Christ. If you'll read through your Bible, especially through the epistles and circle where you find the word in, it's a real important word. As I said and exhorted us already, when you ask people, what are you into? And I would say that, what are you into? And I would say, who are you into? And I would hope you would say, I'm into Jesus and Jesus is into me. I have received him, and he's my Lord and my Savior, and he's the preeminent one, and he's the most important one. I seek to live in him and through him and by him and for him because he's created all things and worthy of all things. When we sing this song, Jesus, you're more than enough, I really want my life to believe that. How many of you know the difference of saying something and believing something? Like, I really want you to be more than enough. I want you to be my provider. I want you to be the one who gives seed to the sower so I don't worry about finances or inflation or coming economic crisis or whatever it might be. How many of you ever get gripped by the fear of the future? And you start, you begin to worry. If you're honest, if you're alive, you probably do. You probably worry about these kind of things. But yet we'll come here and sing a song that, Jesus, you're enough. And yet we'll give ourselves to anxiety and worry. Why is that? Because we're in a battle and we're in a battle for our souls. And the enemy wants us to worry and be full of anxiety and take our faith away. And God is in a battle for us to get into his victory and let him get into us. So, I'm going to I've got five main points and thousands of subpoints. <laughs> yes, sir. Thank you, Robert. Point number one, in Christ we are complete and we have the fullness of God. Absolute fact. Absolute fact. In Christ we are complete and we have the fullness of God. I don't need anyone else to complete me. Absolutely do not need anyone else to complete me. I need tons of people to compliment me. And not compliment me, hey good job pastor, those are nice too. But compliment in the way of like, hey, you're not too good at this, let me do this for you. You're not really skilled with this set of skills like I have, let me do this for you. See, I do need that. But my wife compliments me in so many ways. But she doesn't complete me. She's not my better half. I, I'm, I'm telling you, this idea, well, my better half. What, are you only half a person without your spouse? That's just not Biblical. You are complete in Christ. And here's what happens. When two complete people come together, two whole people come together, then you have wholeness. When you have two fractured people come together, you have Katie bar the door and hell breaking loose. (laughs) that's what happens like I'm so in love with you I hate you (laughs) like how did this happen well because when you got married two fractured people came together and now they're at war with each other and God's saying I'm going to bring healing so I can bring wholeness to both of your life you guys got married to be happy and I'm getting you I got you married to make you holy come on And and to reflect Christ that's it and you're going to be revealed how selfish you are and how self-centered you are and how pathetic you are. It's, come on. everyone! like, has he been living in our home? How does he not? <laughs> We're complete in Christ. And once we can let him make us whole, then listen, the whole world looks a lot more beautiful. A lot more grace is extended, a lot more mercy, a lot more softness of heart. When when we stop demanding from others what only God can give us. Well, I wouldn't even, I didn't go there last night. It's so important that we let this truth become a reality in our life. Lord, I'm complete in you. Colossians 2.8, beware lest anyone deceive you through philosophy and empty deceit. According to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. I'm going to tell you, there are all kinds of weird, strange, special things that people will come to try to rip you off from your simple devotion to Jesus Christ. They will. It'll come in. The subtlety of it. It's man-made. It's tradition. It sounds hyper-spiritual. It sounds woo. But I tell you what, it's a subtle way of drawing you away. From simple devotion to Jesus. And Paul knew this and he understood it and he understood what was happening. And that's why he wrote this letter to the Colossians. For in, for in him, in him, you can circle that, in him, in Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In Jesus dwells the fullness of God. In him. And you are complete in him. Everyone say, complete in him. Say this, I'm complete in him. Now believe it. Now believe it. And when you, when you really believe this, then you can start treating others with respect regardless if they treat you with respect. When you're really complete in him, you can stop demanding that others meet your needs when they don't have the ability to meet your needs. You are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Here Paul described our relationship with God in simple and straightforward terms. If you want to experience the fullness of God, there is only one way to do it. You don't have to chant. You don't have to dance. You don't have to shave your head, mutilate your body, or wear a funny robe or join a club. Are you hearing me? You don't have to go through all these rituals and all these other things that you know. Hey, oh, woo, woo, you got, you, oh, I, I know, mm, Aiden, I see a tattoo on your arm. Mm, 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 you know, t- mm, mm, do you know what the Old Testament says about tattoos? Mm, you need to get that thing erased, bro. I didn't get a tattoo to a deity. I didn't get a tattoo to a foreign god. But I'm telling you, this is where this stuff comes in at. (laughs) Oh, but pastor, I already feel it. I already feel that religious spirit just rising up. He said, how do we have, how do we get a relationship with God? All that you have to do and all that you can do to experience the fullness of God is connect with him through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ because Christ is the fullness of God. And that's why I refuse to let Jesus just become one of the many deities or one of the many ways to God. And why I refuse to even uh, allow to go down that road. No, he is, he is the king eternal, immortal, invisible. He's the only wise God. He is to be preeminent and first and foremost. I will not lower him to a lesser. I, bel- I agree with C.S. Lewis. He's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. But he cannot be all three. He cannot be all three, and I believe that he is Lord. Here Paul says, you are complete in him. Paul says that this is a fact to be enjoyed, not a status to be achieved. This is important. It's the fact of who he is in you. I'm complete in him. It's not a status I'm trying to achieve. It's a fact that I'm complete in him. He's the head of all principality and power. In many New Testament passages, principality and power describes ranks of angelic beings, either faithful or fallen angelic beings throughout the scripture. Therefore, Paul here declares Jesus' authority over all spirit beings. The false teaching among the Colossian Christians emphasized these lesser spirit beings, but Paul makes it clear that Jesus is far above them. I tell you what, I've encountered demonic spirits. I've encountered them in many different places. I've been with Robert in India where they just manifest like crazy. In America, they're a little more subtle. They're more hidden. (laughs) They're kind of more sophisticated. But nonetheless, they're real. And people get caught up in, you know, I bind you, devil, and I rebuke you, devil, and they're speaking more to the devil than they are to God. The, the, The truth of the matter is they're defeated. And through the name of Jesus, we have power and authority over them. And we can silence them. And we can enact the kingdom of God. And declare the word of God. And that's what Jesus, Jesus is your best example in battling the enemy. What did he do? When the devil came in, This was just kind of crazy. Hear the living word of God, the word made flesh, Jesus. And the devil's trying to quote the Bible to the word, the Bible got it (laughs) now you would think the guy who wrote the Bible really knew the Bible and the intent of the Bible wouldn't you now and you're going to come and try to slither in and put a little nuance in it and think that he's not going to catch it (laughs) and what did Jesus do Jesus hit him with the word three different times he tried to tempt him and three different times Jesus said but it is written And here's the deal, that's why you need to get the word in you, so that you don't freak out when you have a demonic encounter, so that you're not running scared and running afraid when you have a demonic encounter with someone or some other thing. You have the authority in you to say, it is written, be gone. I draw near to God, I resist the devil, you have to flee in Jesus' name. And this is what he's trying to tell you guys, you are complete in him. You have authority In him, because he has defeated the enemy. Point number two, in Christ, we have forgiveness of sins. In him, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him up from the dead, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he is made alive together with him, having forgiven you what? All your trespasses. You see, most of the Colossian Christians were Gentiles who had never been physically circumcised. And there was teaching going around Paul had to write the book of Galatians to try to tell people, hey, look, you know, you don't need to force people to be circumcised. Jewish believers, stop it. What's important is not the circumcision of the flesh, but the circumcision of the heart, which God had prophesied would happen in the Old Testament. I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to put a new spirit in you. But people always want to go and bring people back into bondage or try to get them to be just like them. And Paul assures them that they were indeed circumcised in a spiritual sense, which is even more important than physical circumcision. And all of us Gentiles ought to say amen. You see, our spiritual circumcision meant the putting off the old man. The Greek word for putting off Is a double compound word which denotes both stripping off and casting away. So it's not enough for you just to take off your old filthy garments. It's not enough for you just to take off your habits and put them in a pile and leave them in your home. No, God wants you to take them off and then cast them away. Like I'm not, no, I'm not doing this anymore. This is not, that's part of my old life. I am putting this away. I am casting it away from me. And that's what God did with your sins. He didn't just put them in a pile to remind you, oh, remember when you did this or remember when you did that? No. The Bible says that as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. When you come to God in confession, then God says, okay, I forgive you. Now I remove them from me. And in eternity, east and west never meet. So they're always continually going away from God. That's a beautiful picture of what God does for you and me and what he's done for you and me in Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, the imagery is that of discarding or being divested of a piece of filthy clothing, Vaughn says in his commentary. Even the Old Testament acknowledges that there are two types of circumcision, one of the body and one of the heart. Sincere baptism shows that the real circumcision of the heart has taken place. That's why, listen, baptism for a believer is not an option, it's a command. It's not because you're getting closer to God, no, and that you're getting more saved, no. It's because you are saved and you wanna be close to God and you know that God's love language is obedience. And he said, if you love me, then you'll keep my commandments. And so now we're expressing what's happened on the inside Outwardly, I am identifying with the death of Jesus. I have been circumcised of heart spiritually. Jesus is my Lord. I'm not ashamed to identify with him. I will profess to the watching world that I am dying, and my life is now hidden in Christ, and I'm going to be be raised to walk in newness of life through the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of Jesus Christ. And so I ask you, what keeps you from obeying God? Fear of man? You gotta cast that off, that's an old way. That's an old garment, you gotta let it go. Fear of embarrassment, guess what? That's an old way, what is it? Rationale, reasoning, that you know better, you gotta, that's part of your old nature, that's resisting. It's time to put it to death. And it's a time to obey God and put him first because he's worthy, because he's worthy. Point number three, in Christ we have freedom from the law. Mm. now every time I I bring this up man I just I feel the tension I feel the religious spirits that just want to jump on this and resist this but it's the truth having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us which was contrary to us and he has taken it out of the way having nailed it to the cross. Everyone say, nail it to the cross. Nail it to the cross. Hey, when the devil comes to accuse you, when the devil comes to bring up your repeated sins and the things that you've already confessed and asked forgiveness for, you know what you need to tell him? Nail it to the cross. Take it to the cross. Take it up at the cross. Go talk to the one who already nailed it to the cross. That's like, talk to the hand. I'm not listening to you. I'm not talking to you. You go deal with Jesus. He nailed my sins to the cross. He casts them away from me. I'm not going to listen to your condemnation. You're the accuser of the brethren. You're the liar of liars. You're the father of lies. And I'm listening to truth. And the truth is I'm forgiven in Christ. The truth is that all of my mistakes and all of my willful sins, all of them have been nailed to the cross. Come on now. That's the truth. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So whether a man comes and points his finger of accusation at you, or a religious spirit, or a religious denomination, or whatever it might be to bring you back into bondage, listen, you need to just say, you know what? That stuff has been nailed to the cross. I suggest that you nail your stuff to the cross too. But I'm not going back into your bondage. I'm not coming under your control. I I am under the control and the power of the God of heaven and earth who raised Jesus from the dead and now lives in me. And my sins are forgiven and all the laws and requirements that you have against me, guess what? They've been nailed to the cross. I am free in Christ. I'm complete in Christ. And you're not going to rob me and cheat me of the freedom that I have in Jesus. I'm not going back into bondage again. I lived under the fear of man long enough. I lived under the tyranny of the flesh long enough. I lived under the tyranny and the accusations of demonic powers and principalities long enough. And guess what? My Jesus defeated them all. And I'm under him, and I'm under his authority, and greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. All you principalities, all you powers, all you traditions of men, all you elementary principles of the world and the flesh and the devil, guess what? You're defeated, and I'm not under your authority anymore. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, the handwriting requirements has in mind a list of our crimes or moral debt before God, a debt that no imperfect person can completely pay. But it can be taken out of the way by payment from a perfect man, Jesus Christ. It means that the document that once condemned us is now taken out of the way, having been nailed to the cross. Jesus did everything possible to make certain that the handwriting of requirements that was against us could no longer accuse us. The accuser and enemies of our soul have been disarmed and triumphed over. Erdman writes in his commentary, the death of Christ was not only a pardon, it also manifested might. It not only canceled the debt, it was a glorious triumph. Come on, give God honor and glory. I'm not just pardoned, I have triumphed. Point number four, and I've only got one more. You all think you're going to get out of here early. No. Surprise, surprise. You'll see. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> in Christ, we have freedom from ceremonial rituals and man-made traditions. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So let no one judge you in food or in drink. Did you all just hear that silent butt? Did you? Did you all just hear? Did you just feel that? Yeah. What kind of drink? Hmm. Let no one judge you. Can I eat bacon? Bacon, maple glazed bacon. Mmm. First watch. Mmm. I already go there now, huh? <laughs> or regarding a festival, or a new moon, or sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you out of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels. Man, I remember walking through that in the 80s. There was a book written called Angels on Assignment, and it was all about angels and about visitation of angels, and people were just, have you had your angel visit you yet? And I mean, it's like, hey, I I believe in angels visiting people, and I believe in all that, but listen. People start like, oh, have you, have, you, have you had your angel visit you yet? Like, you're less of a Christian. Something must be wrong with you if you not have visitation by an angel yet. Do you know your angel's personal name? You know, because y'all have an angel watching over you, and, you know, you get to command angels too. Y'all understand that, right? There's nothing not the new under the sun. These doctrines come and go. These special revelations, like, hey, are you fasting are you taking communion every day? Like, you know, you need to take communion every day if you really want to experience the fullness of God and healing, like perfect healing. And, and then the doctrine of never die was really big back then. Like, you could get to a place of faith where you'll never die. And then it, it started waning because the people who promoted it started dying. And so it kind of kind of outlived its, uh, it, it kind of like, okay, we'll see how this works out. And it was like, didn't, it wasn't so popular anymore. But see, what is it? People come in with subtle things that sound real spiritual, and they couldn't be helpful. But then they become the law itself rather than finding the fullness in Christ. Why do I want a shadow when I can have the real? I was asking, why do I want a shadow when I can have the real? Worship of angels and intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God. Jesus, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need your life, I need your spirit, I need your will, I need your mind, I need your love, I need your nourishment, I need to be linked to you, grafted into you. Jesus, I need you. You are the vine and I'm the branch, Jesus. Apart from you, I'm nothing. Oh, Jesus, I need you. The Old Testament law had certain provisions that are done away with in Jesus regarding such things as food and Sabbath. It isn't that those laws are bad, simply that they were a shadow of things to come. Once the substance Jesus Christ has come, we don't need the shadow anymore. The point is clear. Days and foods and observed under the Mosaic law are not binding upon the new covenant people. The shadow has passed. The reality has come. So for the Christian, all foods are pure and all days belong to God. Come on, all days belong to God. I, I, all days belong to God. Well, you know, the Sabbath is on Saturday. It, it may be for you. But every day is a Sabbath day for me. Jesus Christ is my Sabbath. He is my Sabbath. He is my eternal rest. Yeah, but you need to take a special day. Do I? It probably would be helpful. But, but to be saved? No, I don't. To be forgiven? No, I don't. Now, would it be wise? Yes but not to stay saved come on i know this is some but pastor do you have no no boundaries yeah i have a lot of boundaries in my life this is apostle paul said he goes i i got the freedom to do anything i want but i won't do anything i want because all things may be lawful for me but not all things may be profitable for God's kingdom. So I abstain from a whole lot of stuff. I have internal controls that are by the Holy Spirit. It's because I want to live godly, and I love the Lord, and I don't want to disappoint Him. And, and so there, there's all kinds. But And so I'm not licentious, and I'm not lawless at all, but I have guiding power of the Holy Spirit in my life. And I don't need a set of rules and regulations Christians are therefore free to keep a kosher diet or to observe the Sabbath if they please. There is nothing wrong with those things. However, they cannot think that eating kosher or Sabbath observant makes them any closer to God. And they cannot judge another brother or sister who does not observe such laws. Can I get an amen? Point number five. In Christ, we we are free from legalism. Verse 20, therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why as though living in the world do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh." I'm going to tell you, we did did this prayer and fasting thing years ago. We always do at the beginning of the year. And we just tell people, take the liberty, take your liberty. What do you want? Just ask the Spirit what you want to fast with. And then people got into this whole Daniel fast. And it got ridiculous because the Daniel fast was not even a, uh, oh gosh. How do I even go here? I don't even need to go here right now, but I'm going to go here right now. Let me just say, like, Daniel actually fasted from food. That, that he had a diet. It was really the Daniel diet, in the sense. But then there were times that he actually went without food. Two different types of fast. But so people, like, I'm on the Daniel fast. They were eating better than they'd ever eaten. They were eating cleaner than they'd ever eaten. I mean, and they were more focused on what they couldn't eat than on the factual act of what fasting is supposed to do, is saying, I'm going to deny the Pleasure of this food because I want the greater pleasure of pressing into God, and I'm telling you, it creeps in like this, and then people are like, uh, "Wait a minute, that's that crazin'! That's not on Daniel fast. You got crazins on your your beautiful green salad." <laughs> it's like when well, you start passing judgment, like, like what are we doing? Like what are we doing? But that's how it gets in there. That's how religious spirits just creep in and deny you your freedom in Christ. Like, what are you fasting? I am fasting nothing, man. Like, I am not going to fast. I'm going to fast cigarettes. That's what I'm going to fast. Well, good for you. That's a start. <laughs> do not, do not, do not. That, this is the perfect description of legalistic religion. Defined more by what we don't do than by what we do. Christianity is a moral religion. It does have clear moral boundaries. One aspect of legalism is that the doctrines of men are promoted as the laws of God. All such legalistic rules may have an appearance of wisdom, but they have no real value. Legalism doesn't restrain the flesh. It feeds the flesh in a subtle, powerful way, Bruce says in his commentary. In fact, the most rigorous asceticism can coexist with insufferable spiritual pride. One of the subtlest and most intractable of the works of the flesh. Do, do 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 do. They want me to come to an end. Self-imposed religion is man reaching to God. I want you to get this: trying to justify himself by keeping a list of rules. Christianity is God reaching down to man in love through Christ. Which will you have? Which will you have? I pray, church, that we'll have the latter. We'll let Christ reach down and receive him as Lord and Savior and say, Jesus, I belong to you. Jesus, I'm complete in you. In conclusion, as you stand with me, as we live the Christian life, attempting to mature spiritually, beware of any doctrine or teaching of man that suggests we need more Jesus Christ. Two, remember He is the way, not a way, John 14, six. And three, let's read it out loud together. And we are complete in Him. Let us pray. Jesus, I belong to you. If that's if that's true of your life. I encourage you to say it out loud Jesus I belong to you if you've not received Jesus I encourage you right now to say Jesus I receive you as my Lord and Savior I put my faith in you I put my trust in you I need your forgiveness I need your love and I need to be changed from the inside out Jesus I belong to you and Jesus, I'm complete in you. Church, I bless you to walk in that revelation and that knowledge that you are complete in Christ and that in Jesus is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So therefore, you are complete in Christ. I bless you to walk in the authority that you have as a believer in triumph over the world, the flesh, and the devil. And I pray that you'll be free in Christ, in Christ alone. Amen and amen. Give him honor. Give him glory. Give him praise.